from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. And we're just going to jump right into it. How's it going? Good. <laughs> we're eating chocolate this morning. I think Perry's all amped up I on, even ha- haven't on, uh, had mine yet. on salted. You haven't had yours yet? No, I haven't. But I'm eager to dive just into the pussy. high on life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm eager to dive into the pussy. What's, what's in that? So, M- <laughs> Michelle, for, for, those of, uh, for those listeners who are now offended. <laughs> yes. This is all Michelle's fault. This is legitimate. So, Michelle gave me this energy drink. It's called Pussy. 100% natural ingredients. And it's got this beautiful can. And I'm not a fan of energy drinks. I can't believe we're product pr- promoting here. Well, and this is Red Bull Day at Ned Space, it too. Is Everyone's actually. sucking up Red Bull. Yes. Everybody's just running outside the podcast studio <laughs> back and forth for no reason. Yes. So, anyway. interestingly enough, I'm not an energy drink drinker either. It is, it's thick. It's disgusting. Yeah. This is? No, no, no. Oh, like yeah. energy drinks in general. Yeah. I'm like anti-energy Me drinks. Too. So I was at a party. Um, the guy I know owns a liquor store. And he was like, here. And, and so it was half half pussy and half vodka over ice. Um, what did he call that? I don't did he have a name for it? No, oh, okay. I don't think so. You come so, up with so many bad I, things, I, but I, I just <laughs> leave it be. <laughs> so anyways, this, this is kind of the anti-energy drink. Actually, should we open it? Should we open it's, it? It's it's a little. It's getting warm. It's cold. So okay. I'd like to put it back in the refrigerator oh, and pop it and sip. It. Okay. Come on, we've talked about how you're not an energy drink person. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, it smells like. Yes. It sm- no, it doesn't smell <laughs> like pussy. It smells like um, it smells like um, passion fruit. Yeah. I think that's or in there. guava that maybe. And some lime yeah. and whatnot. Oh, I didn't shake it. I don't probably would explode it in the studio had you shook it. Actually, that's freaking delicious. Thank oh. you. That's really good. See, I told you guys this is like it tastes fruity and mm-hmm. and like a woman actually. <laughs> Very oh, aromatic. Yeah, it's great. It is really good. Ooh, that tastes more like juice, right? Yep. Yeah. That's nice. Dang it! And see, I didn't like. Pussy, and there's but only I think I'm gonna have to. There's only one place in Oregon you can get that kind, though, so just make a note. you got to go to Lincoln City to get that stuff. That's a long... Lincoln City? Isn't that on the coast? Yeah. That's the one on the... That's too far. Yeah. That's where the aquarium is. That's right. No. Aquarium's in Newport. Oh, you're right. It is. Yeah. Anyway, this is not the (laughs) energy show. It's the tiny house house show. show. And we have marvelous guests that Michelle met at the... uh, What was that thing? Tiny house summer camp. (laughs) Tiny house summer camp. You always just drive nearby <laughs> and then toss it over. Exactly. Tie down those facts, would you? Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. That, that I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> and with us uh, today from that summer camp that Michelle met is Jess and Dan. Dan. Dorian. Sullivan. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Harry is looking All at me. Right. He's like, literally, your name is on his screen, it's but not he doesn't actually. have his glasses on or something. <laughs> So in the in the studio, he's looking at me like with this. Okay, you're filling in the blanks here. He's cross-eyed <laughs> from energy drink. Yay! Welcome to the show, and thank you for putting up with our craziness this morning. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah. We're, uh, we're happy to be here. 
we're happy to have you. So you say. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the show, we're going to ask you again just to make yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're still happy? So, so you guys, you guys, uh, your claim to fame is a tiny house that was built totally from reclaimed materials. Well, not totally from reclaimed. Oh. We have about 40% reclaimed materials. Uh, 40%? Yeah. That's not mostly. It's 40 percentish. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little less than half. There's some of the 40 yeah, percenters we, I've read we about. We focused on uh, new materials for the structural components because we didn't want to take any chances with that. Um, and then uh, basically a lot of the design, inner, uh, the inner design, the interior design, and the, uh, the, out, the exterior design is, is mostly um, reclaimed. Very so, nice. Perfect. How did you go about claiming your reclaimed materials? Why, why did you guys do this to begin with? The tiny house or the approach that we took to building our tiny house? Both, maybe? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. So one of the main reasons, or there's two main reasons that we decided to go tiny, um, financial reasons and environmental reasons. And for me, the environmental reasons were more uh, prevalent than for Dan. He kind of jumped on the whole bandwagon after we met, and I started to open his eyes to different things. But I've always been very um, conscious of what I use in my day-to-day life and how that's going to impact the environment. And I've always wanted to have a very small carbon footprint and just do things that, you know, will, will leave no trace, you know, if, or at least the littlest traces I can. Um, I grew up in a lot of really uh, beautiful and rural areas. My family actually seemed to rotate between northern Maine and Alaska. So we live in each place a couple of times. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that my parents are really big into the outdoors and they just enjoy, you know, just amazing untouched places. So I grew up seeing animals more often than I did people, you know, breathtaking backdrops were my normal sight day to day. Like I just really had a deep appreciation for nature and kind of opened my eyes when I started to move into more urban areas, like how much we have changed that and how much, you know, we could be doing differently to lessen our impact on the environment. So I've always had that on mind. And then the financial aspect, of course, kind of just started to, to drop in on me after college. So I had all these different student loans and then just all the different things that life throws at you and they all seem to cost money. Uh, so I was just getting really frustrated with the, you know, the state I was in. I, I had a lot of loans to pay back. I had just gotten a car. You know, I had a typical, you know, corporate desk job. I was working, you know, 40 hours a week, sometimes more because it was a sales traveling job. So I would be gone the entire week sometimes and then just come home and I was paying rent on an apartment that I would never see. You know, I'd never see that money again. And all those things were just really starting to frustrate me. And I also began to see that I was kind of slipping away from what I considered, you know, the most important things, or at least my convictions, you know, being close to the planet and and just, you know, living my life in a way that I could be proud of. And I felt like I just wasn't doing that at that point in time. So I started to think about what I could do to change those things so I could feel better about my life, myself, and and what I was doing. And we started searching for uh, different alternatives as far as housing. And each time it was, uh, you know, it required a sizable down payment. You had to have land. You had to do, you know, there was just big, big investments standing in the way. So a lot of those things uh, I kind of turned away from. And I guess I should interject there and say that I did actually own a typical house. I went through that. Uh, in southern Maine, I was in a serious relationship. We got this house. We thought it was going to be, you know, just a few touch-ups here and there, hardwood floors, some new paint, and it turned out to be like one of the most epic, you know, refabs of my life. Money the pit. End. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. So um, I ended up kind of just giving my life away for two years. If I wasn't sleeping or working, I was at the house trying to put this thing back together and just sinking into debt. And actually, there's a, a nice little chapter in the book called Turning Tiny that I wrote, and you could you know learn a little more about that story there. But the bottom line of that is I just got a really bad taste in my mouth for a typical house. I didn't like the idea of picking up where someone else's mess left off. Like there was just so many things about that house where I would discover it and think, what the hell were they thinking? Why did they do this? <laughs> and then I had to clean up the mess and, and it always cost more and more money. And by the time the house was finished, so was the relationship. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we just were not, uh, we were not meant to be together. And that kind of served as the fast track uh, to figuring that out. I think if we hadn't have taken on that amount of stress, I'd probably still be in that relationship and, you know, arriving at the same conclusion, but just many more years later. Wow. Um, so I kind of walked away from that knowing that the next home that I would own would not be anything typical. Uh, and then I moved to Rhode Island, got this corporate job that I was talking about. I met Dan and we started talking about having some kind of home for ourselves. And so the search landed on tiny houses because we didn't have to drop so much money right away. It was a, it's a small project. So everything about it is small, your investments, you know, the steps you have to take it, it just, everything seemed much more palatable and much more doable. And I also kind of wanted to do this as, as another fast track to see if, if Dan was the guy for me. So, <laughs> so we built a house together and we got married in the midst of it and I couldn't be happier. So wow. it, a lot of great things have come out of doing this. So, and the other part about, approaching the tiny house was that we had so much control over every aspect. So I could say, I want to use as many reclaimed materials as we can. If we had had all the time in the world to get this done, I probably would have gotten closer to, you know, 75 or 80% reclaimed materials. But as you'll learn, if you try to do this type of thing, it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. And a lot of that time is just searching and contacting people and locating the materials and then evaluating whether or not those materials are going to be worth all the time it takes to to re refab them and make them into something that you can build with. So I think uh, she just answered all of your questions. Yeah, there. basically. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, over. You know, my introduction to the tiny house was kind of interesting too, because it was kind of like um, it was this crazy idea. Uh, we were looking at all these alternative ideas, and um, we had been dating for a little while, and I was just like, "All right, she's hot enough." to go along with it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, working out pretty well. So, you know, Hot, she seemed like a wacko, um, but it ended up making a lot of sense in the long run. That's it? That's Thanks. your story? Well, for what it's worth, this hot wacko's marriage did not uh, did not survive a $35,000 remodel on my last conventional house. So maybe there's some more, maybe there's some more wisdom there um, that we can delve into in, on a different day with a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I bet, yes. That sounds great. <laughs> So what was the time frame of all of this? Let's let's go back a little. I mean, how when did you when did you leave the nightmare money pit? Um when did you so, discover the tiny house movement and then how long did it take you from your aha this is a famous Michelle question. How long did it take you from your from your aha moment to actually putting money down on a trailer and, and doing that? Give us a little bit of a timeline. Sure. So um the 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 regular money pit house situation ended in uh, the middle of 2010. And then it was um, a couple years later, October of 2012, 
that we had really, that I had met Dan, we were together and I was tossing around the idea of getting out of the apartment, you know, cycle of just giving money away and never seeing it again. Um, and then I was just looking through everything. We looked at earth ships, we looked at yurts, we looked at all this stuff. And like I said, it all required land. And I just, my stomach was just turning, thinking about dropping that much money to start something like that. And I said, no way, no way. And then I think it was October 6th or 7th that I came across a YouTube video of a kid named Austin. Uh, he was a 16-year-old yeah. kid who was building a yeah. tiny house in his parents' backyard. And then it kind of just spidered out from there where I found all these different videos with Jay Schaefer and all the other more notable people in the tiny house movement. And I brought this all back to Dan. I was like so nervous and excited. And he's like, oh, yeah, all right, sounds cool. Let's do it. And then on, I'd say, October 12th, we bought the trailer. So what do you, what do you, um, there's so many good questions to ask. What do you? Find one. I know, I, I, I had it <laughs> and it just, it just slipped from my mind. Um, oh, I remember. So you didn't want to buy the land. So where, where, where is your, where, what you, you've sold your tiny house, but when you were living in it, where, what kind of land were you living on? And what was the financial so arrangement? When we, when we first decided, all right, you know, first we go October, we said, all right, let's do this. So we went around and I talked with my dad, um, and he let us build and, uh, stay in his backyard for, you know, about a year. So we built it and then it was coming into the winter, so we couldn't really move it. Um, so he let us stay through the winter. And then the next spring we had located a farmer who was actually, she's got a lot of the same, you know, interests and priorities and she really loved what we we're doing. Um, so it was a really kind of a match made in heaven. And she was like 10 minutes from my dad's house. It was kind of like wow. pinching myself that it worked out the way it did. Um, so that was like just really awesome to have that work out that way. We kind of just was like, you know, if you build it, they will come. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. So we were like, well, we're just going to build it and kind of fly by the seat of our pants and hope we find a place to put it. Um, and it, and it worked out. It did. We didn't have a, 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 a long-term place to keep it when we first started. We just kind of, we didn't focus on that. We just wanted to get it built. And we knew that my dad would be open to letting us stay there for a little bit anyway t until we could figure something out. How much did you pay the farmer to be there or did she charge you at all? Um, our... our agreement changed here and there we would either pay a few hundred bucks a month or we also like helped out on the farm as well um so they've got goats and chickens and rabbits and all kinds of stuff and she's got several different gardens and hoop houses and all this stuff going on so we would help out here and there and sometimes that would be you know in exchange for rent or part of the rent and she would provide she provided the water and electricity too uh, no, that's actually another unique part of our situation is we are a completely off-grid, self-contained unit. So we had carry-in, carry-out water. We did not, we, for the past three years, we have lived without running water. Wow. And then what about the electricity? Entirely solar. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you um, do reclaim materials for your solar? No, we did not. That was one of those areas where, you know, we were, we were so, still so new to the situation that I wasn't going to try and buy somebody's problematic panels and right. hope that I knew what was going on and be able to fix them. Okay. Um, so we worked with a local company uh, based out of the Massachusetts area um, that's, that, help, that is helpful to people who want to be DIYers as far as the solar is concerned. They're called the Alt-E-Store. Hmm. Um, so I did a lot of my own research and kind of self-taught uh, myself to put together a system and then I called up these people and said this is the kind of power usage we're going to want this is our setup this is our scenario and then he told us the parts and pieces we would need and then I put it all together cool 
So I think that uh, as unexpected as it is, I think it's a common theme. Um, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they were the build and pray type. When, w- tiny house people are divided in two different categories, pray to build and build to pray. <laughs> or pray to build and build and pray. Anyways, um, didn't have a place to put it when they started building. I didn't either. Can you think of any guests that actually did know exactly or have all of our guests just been jump in and do this? There have been a couple who have had um, places to put their thing. Like um, David Latimer actually had a place oh, yeah, with that's his true. girlfriend. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Um, but but interestingly, the, the thing we're hearing about mostly from our guests, especially the builders, is that the, it's the build, pray, oh shit, gotta sell. Right. Because <laughs> they can't find a place to, right. to live legally yeah. on, their prop, on, yeah. on their house. Right. I love that approach, though. Again, it was the same approach that I took. Yeah, I just love that approach (coughs) of where you just, you build and you trust your Mm -hmm. instinct and you trust, I guess, the universe or whatever. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's having faith in something. Because I I think what what happens with some people is that you want to get everything locked down and you want to feel, you know what, you want to feel confident that you'll have a place and that you'll be able to build and you won't have any issues. And sometimes that just puts so many roadblocks in that you never actually get to that build point yeah. because you're like, well, I don't want to start until I have this place. And, you know, it's it's tough to say to somebody, hey, can I stay in your place with this house that I'm going to build? It's not going to be done for two years. Um, and, you know, like if all goes well, I'll be there. But, you know, nobody wants to sign up for something that's going to get kicked around and, and the agreement's going to change a thousand times. You know? Yeah, so. I have a I have a lakefront um, place. Um spot for a tiny house that I have yet been able to fill um, for that exact reason. Most of the people that want to look at it don't have a tiny house. They're planning on building one um, or they've even offered to rent it while they build it. Um, That has a different set of issues. But yeah, um, there are many, many challenges, obviously, to finding a space and and figuring out your strategy when it comes to that portion of the build. Well, everyone, most of the people I think that we've spoken with who were tiny house dwellers have the same kind of perspective that Dan just described, where they just have this faith. And um, except for the woman who is in the studio with us, who is your friend, who's having trouble with her water. Yes, Celeste. Celeste, Celeste. share. (laughs) One one, one, (laughs) more. If I could turn back time. (laughs) Anyway, um, uh, most of the tiny house dwellers that we've talked with have been people who have had kind of the the coming of age story that um, that Jess, you describe, except yours is kind of native. I mean, some of the people we've talked to have had that kind of native connection to the earth experience, but many have had this this turnaround in their life and they've gone tiny and then in the process of going tiny they've developed this kind of faith that everything's going to work out and i think that's one of the hallmarks of the population. i think it's also when you think about it it's really it's the startup mentality i gotta make this that's thing. what i, I was thinking. gotta do it mm-hmm. bootstrapping, yeah, bootstrapping. Yeah. i don't know where i'm going to be in yeah. six months or a year right. there's going to be problems coming at me i don't know what they are mm-hmm. but right. i can't worry about it now but in the meantime hammer this thing exactly <laughs> and speaking yeah, of bootstrapping I mean, that's kind of um how you approach the um reclaimed materials portion of the build um as well right yeah um that's yeah. another way to bootstrap your way through the builds you want to tell us a little bit about the your favorite your favorite dumpster dive <laughs> moment <laughs> well we actually didn't do any dumpster diving oh, i did a lot of, lot of craigslist surfing um, and then I did have, we did have a few contractor friends here and there that if you do have some contractor or, or carpenter friends, hit them up because they are a wealth of materials most of the time. 
Um, there's so many people out there who are building houses or having their house built, I should say, that don't really think about the money or anything. They just they have this image in their mind and they want a certain house. And then the next day they want some detail different. Yeah. Oh, I want windows that are three inches wider in here. Well, we've already ordered the windows, mm-hmm. so I guess those are going to sit in my garage. Um, <laughs> so we got a lot of stuff. Um, so what we did, our approach was, I don't know if it was it's unique. I haven't really talked to that many people who did reclaimed, but we decided, yes, we're going to do this in October of 2012. A week later, we bought a used trailer that was in really good condition. And once we had the trailer, we knew what our dimensions were going to be. And uh, we worked completely with Craigslist through the winter until we knew we were going to start building in the spring. So the winter time was a time to collect all of the major components. So all of our doors, all of our, excuse me, all of our windows, our door and the trailer were, were used in secondhand. Or sometimes I'd like to say they're secondhand, but were never used. I don't know what the word would be for that. But the point being is that we didn't go to a store, buy it brand new and drive drive that economy of, of new, 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 new stuff all the time. You know, we, some of our windows were still wrapped in, in the plastic and had all the brand new stickers and everything still on them. Um, but they came from contractors who just had a, an abundance of these things around because people kept changing their minds about how they wanted their house made. Did they give that um, to you for free or did you pay? Oh, for no, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, we paid for those things. And I'm also kind of a nerd for spreadsheets. So I kept a spreadsheet of every last item we bought secondhand or reclaimed and what we would have paid for a comparable item at a big box store. And we Mm. saved ourselves about $7,000. Wow. That's really good. Yeah, really good. So Mm. there's this notion, um, a very logical notion, um, that when you move into a tiny house, you have to downsize. (laughs) And then you suddenly realize that when you're building a tiny house, you have to upsize a lot. And it becomes, in when I was going through that experience, it became this sort of push-me-pull-you. Um, I need less stuff. I need more stuff. So did you have any issues finding a place to store it? Did you get rid of stuff and then suddenly figure out, oh, wait, I need that? Um, did you go through that process at all? I don't think we had the uh, experience of getting rid of something and then needing it again. Uh, we were fortunate enough when we were building behind Jess's dad's house uh, that we were able to use his garage space. So we had um, some materials in there that we didn't want out in the, in the elements before we used them, like our insulation, um, stuff like that we could store, and that was uh, relatively um, simple and, and convenient for everybody. Uh, we also had uh, my parents live about 40 minutes away, and so we had some stuff in the basement that just wasn't going to make it to the tiny house, but that we weren't quite ready to give up um, like I've got my snowboard there and just some stuff that isn't practical to have in a tiny house and they had some space in the basement. Right. Um, but more than anything, we, we just got rid of uh, like clothes, clothes and stuff that, you know, you, that, and... stuff that hangs around on your shelves that you don't need. And that is nice. And it reminds you of a, of a certain time or an experience, but it's not necessary to hold on to that physical artifact of it. Um, a friend of ours, uh, Andrew Morrison, who's a big name in the tiny house community, yep. He tells a story about uh, uh, how he had this backpack when he used to follow the dead and he traveled around the country and he has this, these great experiences with this backpack and it was this ratty old thing covered in patches. And finally he took a picture of it and he got rid of it. And one of the points he always makes is that he talks about it and tells more stories re- regarding that backpack than it ever 
gave him when it was just sitting in the closet being unused, you know, as an artifact of those times, you know? So, so certain times letting go of something isn't just forgetting about it. It's celebrating it in a different way, you know? So I think people need to look at, at what kind of stuff they're holding on to and is there sentimental value or is it just taking up space and that sentimental value is within you, you know? Very cool. So it, it, I want to ask you about how you designed your tiny house, but since you're talking, Dan, I want to, I want to get behind that comment you made about um, how you got to this relationship and how hot and crazy your your current <laughs> wife is. Where where current, current. <laughs> where where are you where were you coming from in all of this for real? Like were <laughs> so when, when Jess and I first started dating, um, I remember the. Like I, I, I hung out with her. I hung out with her a couple of times, and I remember saying to my roommate at the time, I was like, I really like this girl. She's super cool. She's super straightforward. You know, like she doesn't seem like she plays games. And I remember just ending the sentence with, "But she's kind of a hippie." And <laughs> and I was like, the best ones are. And it was just something that I, I for some reason had this negative association with. Oh my gosh, she's gonna smell like patchouli oil. But it, it, she really opened my eyes to a lot of issues that I think should be um, on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, but aren't just because of the way we think about certain things, like even just simple things like recycling and, and you know, just doing your best to, you, you know, use less resources, um, opening my eyes to some serious issues we have with, with water and, and water rights and, and, the, and the fact that people don't have access to water in a lot of places and how we use it in ridiculously inefficient ways. Um, so those things, you know, you once somebody kind of opens their eyes to those, you can't ignore them anymore. And so I started kind of getting on the bandwagon bit by bit. And the tiny house movement was great because it connected me with that world in such a, a more, um, you know, cemented way. But at the same time, it brought in my, my kind of logical side where it was, it was going to keep us from having a mortgage. It was keeping us from having to pay into this uh, apartment that was giving us no equity in return. So it was this gradual, um, you know, this gradual ra rise to a level of understanding, you know, why we have uh, activists working so hard for our environment and, and why we need those people. And so um, it became uh, less of like a hippie kind of fantastical, like, love everybody attitude, which is very admirable in and itself, but it became more logical to me too. So I, so I jumped on board kind of feet first and now I'm full fledged. I consider myself a hippie now. So it's kind of this full circle thing. Did you, did you really go along as easily? Well, actually, I'm not going to ask you, Dan. I want to ask Jess this question. <laughs> did Dan really go along that e as easily as he's describing it? Was there any pushback at all? Um, I would say the only pushback was probably in the very beginning, and it's still one of my favorite stories to tell people. Um, when I tried to explain to him what a yurt was, and we were in the middle of a road trip uh, up to southern Maine to meet some of my friends, and I, granted, I did not use the best explanation of what a yurt is. How did you describe it? I think it? I said something along the lines of, I'm like, it's shaped kind of like a tent, and it has a very sturdy, sturdy... She's like, Cover. it's like a teepee, but, you know, it's a canvas tent. And I was like, and he's like, wanna, what? And I was like you want to live in a tent? <laughs> and he was just like, and his... we had been dating for like a hey, couple of I'm months, talking, right? I'm talking, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> he has me. I like, this, me the I like this story. So, <laughs> so he just has this total look of like, 
just appalled look like you what and then he says something like we're gonna grow we're gonna have socially maladjusted children <laughs> if, we, if we lived in a year and i just stopped talking to him for the rest of the ride and so when she gets quiet it's scary and, uh, and and it's funny because i think back on that and it's a little embarrassing for me because the socially maladjusted children part is such um I think it's an easy place for people to go, yes. especially yes. with the tiny house movie. Yeah, you know, yes. people will always. I have a, a coworker who watches these, you know, reality TV shows based on tiny houses and stuff, which some of them aren't so great. Um, and so he watches them and he goes, "Oh, that's child abuse. That's child abuse putting, ch- <laughs> you know, raising children in such a small space." And I'm like, "Look around the world, about, man. What about having 2,000 square feet is increasing, you know, the the level of happiness in a child? Exactly. Like, even if the kid is going to school and saying, oh, my my parents' house is 25,000 square feet. Or, we have three bedrooms and four baths.' I don't even you know? know who's home. I think <laughs> you know, like it's they're worried about toys and, and running out and playing and and all this stuff. And, and tiny house, I think, just makes that so." much easier and i think for for me i think a a part of what made me really mad about dan's comment of socially maladjusted children is that i would fall into the category of a maladjusted child in that case (laughs) because i actually grew up in a lot of different scenarios like i have lived in a tiny house as a kid i mean you wouldn't call it that but at one point my my family two parents two kids and a 95 pound german shepherd lived in a 24 foot long RV in front of my grandfather's house Mm -hmm. in Alaska. So I've lived in an RV. We actually lived in a hunting shack for a six month time frame while our house was being built. My parents have their, their final home, which they had done as a modular. So of course the timeline slipped on that and we had to be out of the house we were in. And so he had some friends who had some hunting camps and we shacked up in a hunting camp for six months, which is probably around 300 square feet. So I've lived in so many different types of situations. And when we lived in Alaska, uh, we basically, you know, lived outdoors every weekend. We would go to a place called Hatcher Pass and we would camp there from Friday to, to Sunday night. So for me, the idea of a home was not so much the building. It was the people and the relationships and, and just, you know, your, your day-to-day activities with those people. You yes. know, we always had meals together. We always went out for walks. We always did certain things. So as a kid, I never felt like, oh, something's wrong here. You know, I'm I'm not getting everything I need. I never felt that way. And I don't think kids do. They don't think like that. They just need a, a happy group of people that support them and love them. And that's, that's what you, that's what you need. It's, it's, it's when people say that the children are going to grow up maladjusted, they're talking from their own maladjustment, looking at what children could potentially become when they're normal, like what you're talking about. Whatever normal is. Well, the type like connected to the earth and right. and recognizing the the importance of managing restewarding resources and things like that. So obviously you're not maladjusted. <laughs> yeah. Wink, well, wink. Well, I mean, um, being a hippie that cares right. about stuff is being maladjusted. Right. Yeah. So were you were you homeschooled then? No, no, we went to schools. Uh, typical, you know, everything else other than you know the the place we called home was was pretty much typical. Pretty and how did your your friends in school kind of uh, view your your unusual? Well, it is or Alaska, know? so who well, knows if it was that unusual? <laughs> I was just saying, it was really not that unusual. <laughs> hey, grizzly bear, <laughs> come on over. So, so the kids were like, "Yep, this is just where you live, and that's that." Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, that was it. Was just kind of everybody had a different situation, sure. and and I think again, as kids, you you're taught to be prejudiced to certain things. So, yeah. 
I, as a young kid, I never really had anyone be like, that's where you laugh. You know, it was never, it was never like, like, cool, where's your bed? Okay. Where's your igloo? Is there a stuffed animal? Play date at the igloo today and play date at the hunting shack tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because your background and upbringing, if I may characterize it this way, the way you described where you came from earlier in the show would indicate to me that you think that people who are living the mainstream life are maladjusted. I guess maybe in a way, yeah. I don't know if I'd use the word maladjusted right. or maybe just, uh, you know, their perspectives are a little, you know, they're directed in areas that that, that maybe aren't as important. They're alt-adjusted. They're alt-adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> Shift alt command. Now I have to put maladjusted in the title of this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so back to my other question. Um, when you were building this tiny house, so Michelle, and I so admire Michelle for this, she designed her tiny house on a piece of graph paper. And yep. she, okay. she says, and she showed me in her tiny house that everything fit to a T, including this antique credenza. credenza that she has. fits beautifully. So there's definitely some value to pre-planning and designing. Oh, yeah. But it, did you guys pre-plan and design your like your layout and where everything was going to fit, or did you just go on the fly? I so I was kind of the the spearhead for this project, and Dan was more like the the brute strength. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so through that winter where we knew we were going to do what we wanted to do, I knew that first I needed the trailer, and then I needed whatever windows and door we were going to want before I could build out my design because I wanted to approach it. You know, when you're using reclaimed or recycled materials, so many people say, I'm gonna draw out what I want and then I'm gonna go search for the things I need to make that happen. Expensive. I just think that's kind of ass backwards yeah. and it's, expensive it's really too. expensive way to do it, exactly. I mean, so you're, you've, you've drawn this window that you like the look of the proportions but turns out like there's no windows in existence that are those dimensions so now you've gotta have one made special by some window guy um, it's just stuff like that that I was just like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And then, so I had the trailer, and then I went and bought the windows and the door within a month. And then I designed the whole thing, the shell, basically, based around those components. Mm. So I think that saves a serious amount of money when you have pieces and then you shuffle them together versus just making up whatever the hell you want and then trying to go find the pieces you need. Um, the, the inside, however, was more of a uh, organic approach uh, I was kind of like, oh, shit, we got to move out of this apartment. Let's crank all this stuff in here. <laughs> and it quickly and it quickly became a keep it simple, stupid. Like we had so many we have this binder full of all these designs that we had. And whenever we feel like having a good laugh, we go and look through that thing. Um, <laughs> there was certain stuff that it was like, what are you, a master carpenter? You really think you were going to build that? Like, yeah, I had some ideas that were just not real. You know, I had this idea for a, a Murphy style bed in the loft. Um, that would no, somehow like that would somehow disappear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Into didn't the floor. need to go anywhere. It just didn't need to be there anymore. <laughs> Until so it's not there. Well, you um, also had this one where the bed would split down the middle and they would slide out like two feet away from each other and fold up into futon couches so that we could have some sort of like little tea party. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I think it's important to spend some time you know, having these ideas um, just <laughs> so you can have this this kind of uh, uh, comic relief when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. We look at it all the time. We're like, oh, my God, we thought we were going to have a rolling island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> last last night uh, I had the kids over for dinner and my tiny and my dining table at this point is basically a slab of plywood. And then I use some galvanized pipe that you screw into the bottom of the plywood for the four legs. I mean, it's the most rudimentary, basic thing you've ever seen. And the kids were like, you're going to change this, right? Like, I thought you were talking about a flip up and I thought you were talking about a rolling table. And they were like reminding me of all those crazy ass messed up dining table (laughs) ideas that I had. But when it came right down to it, it works amazing. I mean, it's perfect. You just put a tablecloth over it and no one even knows. I I toss the pipes and just have everybody put it on their knees. (laughs) (laughs) We need a fourth. Yeah, so the inside, we we planned the shell to a T, and then the inside was more, uh, you know, organic and kind of under a time crunch because we didn't want to renew the lease on our apartment. Um, so it was nice that we had an apartment to keep staying in while we built in my dad's backyard, um, but we really needed to, to push to get things done. Um, and I think that's part of why we didn't get as much uh, reclaimed as we wanted. I mean, I'm still pretty proud that, like, probably 40 to 45% of it is reclaimed materials, which is pretty damn good considering all the work that goes into making those materials usable again. Um, But we kind of had to work quickly towards the end. So there were certain things where if we'd had the time, we probably would have searched and looked and found something uh, reclaimed, but we just, we had to, we had to balance things out. We had to choose, you know, sometimes. But one very cool aspect of it was, uh, you know, looking back and kind of pulling the positives out of it is we moved in before when we still had a significant amount of work to do on the interior, we still had the cat. We had, um, had the little kitchenette done, um, which we ended up redoing. Um, we had some of the countertops done. We ended up redoing because we were living and we still had to figure out our storage space. And so because we were living in it, we could really see like, well, what space, you know, do we not need to worry about putting storage in? What space do we definitely want to keep clear? We had more of an idea of, as opposed to building it completely and then moving in and saying, oh, crap, we shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, we could build it as we wanted based on our perception from living in it already. So, you know, I think organic is the best way to describe how, how our process came about because we really just said, oh, well, we need this today. Let's build it. And we build it to the exact specifications that we knew we needed it. So That's really true. The space um, changes significantly when you're living in it. Um, and you're right. So the further along you go in perfecting the space, the more you have to redo once you actually move yeah. in. Right. Yeah, that's really good advice. Did, did you guys, um, I'm looking at the, the professional pictures on your website. Do either of you have um, construction skills or background? So my experience was that money pit. Um, I, oh, right. I kind of was a crash course in learning everything from, uh, framing electrical wiring, installing basic plumbing. Like I learned to do everything. We only had contractors come in and do the, uh, the structural framing and then we redid everything else ourselves. Um, so it was a, a very, uh, trying experience, but I definitely felt much better and more empowered as a person have after, you know, coming out the other side and it made me feel like, well, I could, I could whip together a tiny house, you know, like I'd already done so many of those things. And to think I would be essentially only doing one room (laughs) was amazing because I had a 1500 square foot house uh, at the time. So to build the tiny house just seemed like, oh, I'd just be working on one room. You know, I could do that. So it was, it was, it was pretty easy for me. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did it take from the time that you started till the time you moved in? 
So we started in April of uh, 2013, and we moved in in October. And how much did you spend on your build? 13000 Wow. And so you're not living in it now. You sold it. Why, were you, why did you sell it? Well, we're still living in it. We're going to be moving out of it shortly. Um, but what happened for us is uh, life, you know, doesn't go all, as planned always, but that's not always a bad thing. So through the, the tiny house, and again, I touch on this in the little bit I did in the book called Turning Tiny, but it just gave us so much more than what we initially expected we would get. We walked into it thinking, okay, we're going to be able to, one, have our own place, not be dumping rent into something we'll never get back again. Two, we'll be able to save a lot more money and pay down debt. Um, and three, I could feel you know, better about myself and, and just my convictions in general because I was living a life more in tune and in line with what I believe in. Um, so those were the kind of the things I expected. What we didn't expect was to become a part of such a cool community. Like that's not something that we were prepared for. And we just have made so many super cool friends and so many different connections. And we've had all these different experiences. We've been speakers at different workshops. We, I, you know, I'm a, I can say I'm a published author now, you know, like we're not actually, something I thought that would happen. We did a, a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We, right now. We were like, we did cool. this podcast. Time and, to retire. And then we, I mean, Bucket we were, list. we were panel speakers at the tiny house conference this past April. Just like, it's just been amazing to, to have like this level of confidence and this kind of this unique reputation that we've grown to acquire that I just wasn't expecting. And a big part of that, that led into, um, my small business that I've started. I've, I've, this is a dream that I've had for as long as I can remember. I knew I wanted to be my own boss and I knew I wanted you know, I have a love of agriculture and food, and I feel like that is one of the most important pieces of our day-to-day lives, and it impacts the world the most, is food. How it's grown, how how we produce it, all these different things have such enormous impacts on the planet. So having a food business was a way for me to really tie in everything I care about. And I just never felt like that was going to happen. It was one of those dreams that was just kind of collecting dust on the shelf. And I think about it here and there, but never felt like I was in a situation or had the level of confidence to really go after it. So once we had the tiny house for a couple of years, I had paid off my car. I had took huge chunks out of my student loans. Credit cards were paid off. Like everything was in such a good state financially. I mean, we weren't totally at a clean slate, but we were so much better off than when we began the whole thing um, that I had the, you know, the the comfort and the courage, I think, just jumping in and saying, we're going to do this, um, especially when pretty much everyone in our social circle was like, you're nuts. Why are you doing this? This is crazy. You shouldn't do it. And we just did it anyway. And we succeeded and we rocked it. You know, it was just kind of one of those things where it was like, yeah, all right. What's the next thing on the list? And so I decided to just go after it. And so I started a small business and it's it's doing really well. Um, and we are just kind of realizing that that's, that's our next chapter. We knew that when we started this whole thing that it was going to be temporary for us. I don't know that a lot of people think that way, but you know, I, I even wrote it in the blog that we knew that this is something that we probably just experienced for a handful of years. We wanted to be able to say we built our own place. We wanted to, to experience a minimized life. We, we, there was just a lot of things about it that we, we wanted the experience. We wanted the, you know, just the, just to gain those tools and have them on our belt. And so what do we did? Cool. Yes, you did. And I can, I can hear the confidence in your voice. Like you're in this 
really empowered place. Um, yeah. I don't hear it so much in Dan. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Dan, seriously. Um, so so what, are you, what are you guys planning to live in next? Well, we're probably just going to return to um, a basic apartment situation right now. Uh, because the business is taking off, what we've found is we, we have an off-grid homestead lifestyle, which becomes very difficult to maintain if you're never home. <laughs> um, so I've, for the last year and a half, almost two years, I've pretty much just been going home to sleep and, you know, barely keeping up with the different things that, you know, we grew gardens and every time, you know, you've got to maintain your solar system and sometimes they, you know, something goes wrong, you got to take it apart, put it back together, analyze stuff. And those things were easier to do when I had a nine to five and I knew my weekends were open and my evenings were open. Um, but with this business, I'm working constantly. It's it's a mobile business at this point. So I travel to farmer's markets. So I'm all over the place and I am barely ever home. And usually when I get home, I'm pretty damn exhausted. So we've started to see that, you know, it's not it's just not working for us anymore. And we're OK with that. Like we said, we knew that it was going to be a temporary thing. We're still really young. We've got a lot of chapters left in our lives to write. We might have kids and all those different things are just, it's just realistic to think that, you know, this isn't the forever home, um, but it's its definitely a home that will be forever in our hearts. Oh, well said. Nice little closure. <laughs> that was really well done. It's almost like we wrote it that way. I know. Or she has a PR person behind her giving <laughs> her <laughs> That's Dan. That's yeah. Dan's yeah. job. Yeah. He's writing down little things on note cards. And then no, like, no he's not. He's not even wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> So we started uh, no, and ended on the same theme. You know, Jess says things like she she had this feeling, uh, uh, this entrepreneurial spirit that she didn't know if she would ever um, realize. And I think anybody after meeting her for about 10 minutes would realize that she's the type of person that anything she has a feeling about is going to get done, whether it's sooner or later, she is ambitious. Um, beyond anything else. And so, it, you know, I often tell people when they ask, and it's kind of annoying that, uh, you know, we go, sometimes we go to uh, Deke's, you know, tiny house summer camp, or we go to some of these, uh, <clears throat> some of these events and people come up to me and they say, so what was your inspiration? You know, what did you, because they assume that, oh, I'm the guy, I, I must have wanted to build this <laughs> and I must be the guy behind it and pushing this idea and she must be just really putting up with my crap. I just want to pick the curtain. And <laughs> I always have to correct people because, you know, this tiny house the absolutely would not have happened if it wasn't for Jess. You oh, know, yeah. she was the one on the forefront of the research and she's the one who put it into, you know, the terms that I could look at it and say, that's logical, that's, you know, going to save us a ton of money. And I think it'll be fun. And it was. It was an experience that, like she said, we'll never forget. Um, and it's just given us so much to be proud of and, and to and confidence. You know, it does give you confidence. Not not even just saying, like, we built this and we, we designed it, we built it, and it works. And it lives. we live in it and it, the roof doesn't leak and nothing's caught on fire yet, you know. Um, but there's also an element of, yeah, we live in 128 square feet. And there are challenges there and there are challenges that we take, you know, right on the chin and, you know, we just work through them and we've grown so strong as a couple because of it. Um, and it's all thanks to her ambitious and entrepreneurial spirit. So to hear her say that she didn't think she was going to get to her business um, is a little wild to me. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad that she's there now and that we have this this little this baby to, to kind of pour our energy into. Um, so that's why it's easy for us to go back to apartment living because as she said, it's a, it's the next chapter in our life and, 
you know, we'll, we'll constantly be look, constantly be looking for the next adventure. So very cool. Very nice. Uh, Jess, what's the name of your business? Two little buns. Oh, two little buns. <laughs> and it's actually, we, I designed the logo to look like we have two rabbits at home, but I definitely have fun with the ambiguity there. So. Nice. Yeah. A lot of that. times I say things about buns and I'm not talking about rabbits. <laughs> there we go. Can people uh, buy your products online too, or are you just local? I'm still just local right now. So I am going to be working towards uh, developing products for a wholesale um, so that they could end up in stores. But I'm still uh, still pretty new in the whole development of the business as far as that's concerned. So I'm, I'm keeping it local, keeping it in Rhode Island. Nice. Cool. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another fantastic episode of the Tiny House Podcast um, with two fabulous guests who fit this show like a hand in glove. <laughs> I know how to pick them. You, you know, do. You too. You too. that's why you pay me the big bucks, right? Because I really know how to pick them. Yes, em. you do. Here, have another energy drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure Mark is queued up to tell us who we're going to have next week. Oh, my God. I was going in a different direction first. Oh, okay. I was going to actually read a iTunes review. Oh, which is what it's we've been. It is, oh, we might as well, right? Might as well. Okay. Can we get a new one? <clears throat> Let's see. No, no, no one's doing. Well, there's a few on here, but... Um, We'll start with we'll start with uh, a good one. How's that? Okay. Rather than oh, no. one wow. of the no no. I mean you know there's some people that were being honest and saying that's you okay. Guys I suck. want to hear one of those too. Well, well we'll we'll start one of those next time maybe. So this is from um, Arling Fant, clever, witty, and insightful. Mm. Obviously, he's never heard us for a full show. Uh, <laughs> I think that may you're clever, and then Perry's the witty, and I'm insightful, right? <laughs> sounds like a tagline of sorts, so sure. If you are even considering going tiny, you have to listen to Mark, Michelle, and Perry. Oh. They are awesome, and they ask the questions I would ask, especially Michelle and her multi-layered questions. <laughs> Poop, pee. And sex. What more do you need? JK. LOL. Thanks for this awesome podcast. I look forward to hearing more. Well, thank you very much, Arling Fant. Oh, that's great, that actually. Is great. That, that is, is great. It's kind of fun, huh? Very so, fun. listeners, leave some reviews, and you may to be chosen, and we'll read yours, too, and make fun and do the fun things that we do. Even the bad ones, because we probably have one that people tell me how crazy I am, right? Uh, that crazy wacko it's thing. It's mostly I, about me, the bad ones. And it's, well, and the shitty sound quality that <laughs> I managed to <laughs> twist things on the board. And we go like this. And then <laughs> <laughs> um, no, next week our guest will be, we think, Joshua Becker. Yes. The Minimalist. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Very exciting. Awesome, awesome. Have a great day. See you. See ya, be ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs>